Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Pump Fake. Jared Bailey with you, flying solo tonight. Ben Raven is off doing a Detroit Pistons podcast. I know he's usually here um, to do this this portion of the show with me. Um, but a lot to get into. Wild card weekend recap. Uh, we'll touch on all the games that took place this past weekend. Um, so obviously a lot to uh, to dissect from what happened uh, over the course of the last few days. Um, and then we'll get into a lot of potential offseason happenings in terms of quarterbacks, coaches. Uh, we'll touch a little bit on all of that. I do want to start, though, uh, with the Buffalo Bills and the Miami Dolphins because um, there are a lot of uh, there's a lot of narratives being passed around uh, right now about the Buffalo Bills. And, you know, there's there's fans on Twitter who aren't happy about them. Um, and look, I get it. Um, you know, now, Buffalo starts off the game against Miami. I mean, obviously, they win 34 31. They advance. They will play the 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 Cincinnati Bengals this weekend in the divisional round in Buffalo. So they win 34 31 over the Miami Dolphins, who were starting third string quarterback Skylar Thompson. Miami, you know, lost five of six down the stretch. They won in the final week of the season over the Jets to get into the playoffs. So, I mean, they had that really hot start, eight and three, two deals with all these injuries. They have to turn to, you know, Teddy Bridgewater, Thompson. But they, but they get in. And everybody, including myself, thought, okay, Skylar Thompson starting for the Miami Dolphins on the road in Buffalo for the Dolphins. Like, I think the final line for the game is 13 and a half in favor of the Bills, which didn't feel crazy. And you look at how the game started, it looked like it was going to be a lot more than that. Um, Buffalo drives down early on in the game. <laughs> the absolute tomfoolery of a Josh Allen deep ball. It's the prettiest thing in football right now. Maybe the prettiest thing in sports. And we can start making the argument that maybe Josh Allen is the best deep ball thrower ever. Like... I wouldn't argue if anybody said that to me. I think I actually tweeted saying that exact thing. And if you go back and watch that play of the Allen deep ball to Diggs, he throws it from, I think, his own 30. Diggs catches it at like the five of Miami. It's just unreal. And it's not, he didn't have to dive for it. He didn't have to hold up. It's in stride. It's a perfect throw. And that was kind of the theme for the Bills. All game. It was very much, you know, risk it for the biscuit. It, they looked like the Bruce Arians Buccaneers, honestly. Josh Allen went five of 12 on deep throws. And if Khalil Shakir doesn't drop that one, uh, he goes six of 12. And by the way, if Shakir doesn't drop that one, I think, you know, Buffalo probably wins by more. But that's neither here nor there. Regardless, you know, they start off the game hot with the digs deep ball and then the touchdown pass to Dawson Knox, which is a thing of beauty on both ends. The pass goes right by the defender's ear. Knox snags it out of the air with one hand. Skylar Thompson throws a pick. The Bills are up 14-0. Then it becomes 17-0. And then this is where... This is where Buffalo... 
I think has become kind of an anomaly and enigma to people around the league where this is where they should have kept their foot on the pedal. And instead, they let Skylar Thompson hang around. They let Miami hang around. And they shoot themselves in the foot a few times. Like, as great as Josh Allen is when it comes to unleashing hell from the pocket with his arm and just letting it fly, Bills fans have come to live with that because for every mistake he makes, he's going to make three great throws that put them in position to win. However, those mistakes, I mean, they were evident in the game. He had a deep ball. I wanted to say it was to John Brown where there was some sort of miscommunication and it was intercepted and it kind of killed a drive where they were driving. I think he threw it from, it was just before midfield. So, I mean, they were having no problem moving the ball and they could have drove to make it, um, you know, even more of a lead and, and put the game even more out of reach. And then the pass later on, I'm not going to put it too much on Josh Allen because it hit Cole Beasley in the chest and it was solid coverage. People wanted to flag on it. it Ticky tack type thing. You know, Cole Beasley probably should have caught it regardless. It ends up intercepted and the dolphins, I think they put up another field goal and hang around. Now at this point, I believe it's 17 to six. And then it becomes a 17 to 13, 17 to 14 game. Before half, Mike Kosicki gets a touchdown. And Miami, I mean, it's a one-score game. They're well within reach. And then the Bills come out of half. They stop the Dolphins. They get the ball back. And then Miami sends the house against Josh Allen, who doesn't really make any sort of reads at the line of scrimmage to say, oh, hey, there's eight guys coming. And it ends up with a fumble that Miami returns for a touchdown. And now the, the Dolphins are winning at this point. I think it's 21-17. And that's that's the thing with the Bills. Like Teams are allowed to win ugly. And there's nothing wrong with that. Especially in the playoffs. You take a win however you get it. You move on. You make adjustments for the next week. But a win's a win. And I'm not taking anything away from the Bills. They got the job done. They won. But... This had this isn't an anomaly with the Bills. Like this has been a season full of ugly wins for them. Where, yeah, you win, you beat a team that you should, but it's not in as dominant a fashion as the Bills themselves would like to see, or as Bills fans would like to see. Like it was an ugly win against the Lions on Thanksgiving. Josh threw two really bad balls um, that got picked. It was a bat, an ugly win against the Bears in Chicago. Granted, I, I understand it was cold weather and whatnot, but Josh had a ungodly ugly interception against Chicago early on. Like there have been Buffalo has played some ugly football at times this year. And look, again, you live with that. Josh Allen plays the quarterback position like he just beer bonged a four loco. Like he is just gonna be wild all game long. He's gonna take you for a ride. But he's going to give you those three, four throws a game that put them in position to get points. And that's why you live with it. However, you play like that against Cincinnati, you're going to lose. 
and not just lose, you're going to lose rather convincingly. You play like that against Kansas City, you're going to lose rather convincingly. Now, I will also make the argument that if Skylar Thompson wasn't playing and Tua was playing, they probably don't take as many risks as they did. And I think that is part of it. That's kind of being ignored where, you know, I, I do think McDermott, Al, and the offense are like, look, we're playing Skylar Thompson. Our defense can handle it. We can afford to take a few shots. And if one or two get picked, our defense will take care of it. It'll all come out in the wash. And I will hear that argument. Because in games, like in the game against Kansas City, yes, there were turnovers, but there were also turnovers on the other end. You know, the Bills defense did their part. And they won on the road in Arrowhead in the regular season for the second straight year. Now, we obviously, we don't know what would have happened against Cincinnati because of the situation that occurred with DeMar Hamlin. And you know, football became a much, a much less important factor at that time. But you know that was kind of like you know a lot of people were saying, okay, this could be a a little bit of a, a prequel to an inevitable sequel in the playoffs. So we don't really know what would have gone down there. But even at the end of the season, like against New England, they did not look good. Josh threw a really bad interception in the red zone. I understand he got hit while it happened. He threw a duck. That hung in the air, got intercepted. And, you know, the score make it look a lot better. You know, Naheem Hines had two kickoff return touchdowns in the game. But they did not play well against New England. Early on against Miami, they didn't play well. They let the Dolphins hang around in Buffalo. Like there's, there have been some ugly games. And more so where it's just like, all right, you know, ugly game, it happens. Like, they're more often than the average team, the Buffalo Bills, played ugly football. But more often than not, they won. And I think that that's, that's the thing that I think Bills, are, Bills fans are focusing on is, yeah, but they won. And I understand that. But there's also the other side of that coin where if Josh Allen throws two picks against the Bengals, they aren't winning. <clears throat> if Josh Allen throws two picks against the Chiefs, they aren't winning. Unless their defense comes up huge in both of those games. Which, by the way, without Von Miller, that's going to be a lot harder to do. And I understand, you know, they've got the likes of Greg Rousseau and Boogie Basham, but those guys aren't Von Miller. And it was nice to see, you know, Kyer Elam have a nice game. Played really well. Had an interception, was all over the place. He played a very his his best game as a pro. <clears throat> but again, against a third string quarterback, you know, it is a little bit you're more likely to make plays like that as a defense. A really good defense, too. I mean, Trey White looked like the Trey White of old as well on Sunday, which is nice to see. Tremaine Edmonds has been playing out of his mind and in a contract year. I know Bills fans are really clamoring to have him be brought back. We'll see how that plays out in the offseason. And if you're the Bills, like I said, you live with it because of what Josh Allen can do. He is one of the two best quarterbacks on the face of this planet. Him and 15 in Kansas City are the two best at doing this. And you live with that because of his ability to keep you in every game that you play. But if they don't clean it up, 
than their season that was supposed to be theirs. You know, everybody and their mother picked them to win the Super Bowl this year. And if they don't clean it up, they're going to fall short. Whether it be in Cincinnati, in Kansas City, if Jacksonville, you know, upsets the Chiefs and and comes to Buffalo, you know, there's a chance. But they need to clean it up. Because yes, the defense played really well. I know that, you know, Miami had 31 points. A lot of that was just the offense putting them in bad situations. Defense played well. The offense needs to really clean it up. And we can, like I said, we can go back and look at all of the great throws that Josh Allen made that game. He had a few to Khalil Shakir, who who played really well in light of Isaiah McKenzie not playing. The deep shot to Diggs. He had a beautiful touchdown pass to Gabe Davis late in the game. So look, look, I get it. And by this is not me trying to trash the Buffalo Bills or Josh Allen by any means. Like I love Josh Allen. I love this team. I love this fan base. So I'm not I don't want that to get misconstrued. But and a lot of it does come down to play calling too. Like Josh Allen has tricked some people into thinking that Ken Dorsey is like some sort of wizard. There are so many like there was a sequence late in the game where they were up in the fourth quarter and their Ken Dorsey's decisions was deep shot, deep shot. Josh Allen gets sacked. They punt. What the hell is that? Run the ball, dude. Run the ball. Or if you're going to throw it, have a check down. That's another thing with Buffalo. They don't take layups. They don't take check downs. It's, it's balls away. It's all or nothing. They need to learn. Ken Dorsey needs to learn to try to just, you know, not every play is going to be, you know, a home run. And for Buffalo, it's either home run or strike out a lot. And they got to be more complacent against teams like Cincinnati and Kansas City. So, yes, Buffalo won. Kudos to them for winning, taking care of business. Maybe not as, you know, in the way that they would have liked to, but they did. But they absolutely need to clean things up because it's going to be a very emotional game this coming weekend against Cincinnati for obvious reasons. You know, both of those teams witnessed something just un, un just in, insane. We haven't seen anything like that. It's no one should have to witness what they witnessed. No one expected to witness what they witnessed. It's going to be emotional. They went through something together. Regardless of what colors they wear, what laundry they wear, what what helmets they wear, they went through that together. And it's going to be emotional. They got to keep their heads. They got to play well. They got to play as close to mistake-free as they can. Because nine and black is, in terms of quarterbacks, I know I just said, you know, Mahomes and Josh Allen are the two best. Burrow's probably third. And he's fantastic. And him, Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, Hayden Hurst has had a few nice games, Mixon. They are loaded on that side of the ball. And they are more than okay with, you know, okay, you want to play in a shootout? Fine, let's do it. We'll go blow for blow with you. May the best man win. So they got to clean it up. Because this is, Cincinnati's a team that they can kind of take advantage of their corners. 
I know that's kind of been the story all season. You know, after Chidobia Wuzi went down for the Bengals, it's like, all right, they got Cam Taylor Britt and Eli Apple. Good luck. Luckily, their front seven's been really good with DJ Reader and Jermaine Pratt having really fantastic years. DJ Reader missed a long time because of injury, but since he's been back, he's been playing at an all pro level. Logan Wilson's been playing really well as well at linebacker. Like they've got a lot of talent up front in their front seven. So that's what it's going to come down to. And we'll get more into that later on in the week in the preview show. But the Bills got to clean it up. And speaking of the Bengals, they're another team that escaped uh, an inferior team against Baltimore. Winning 24-17, to the big play. The uh, 98-yard touchdown return off a fumble by Sam Hubbard in which uh, Tyler Huntley dove for the end zone and got knocked out by Logan Wilson. Hubbard picks it up and runs the other way and puts the game away for the Bengals. An incredible play to witness. Mike Tirico going crazy in the booth. Kudos to him for that call. That was fantastic. Um, I do want to focus a little bit more on the other sideline, though. And I'll, Kudos to Joe Burrow as well. His stat line may, may have not looked great. He only threw for a little bit over 200 yards. Baltimore's defense has been fantastic out of this world the last two months since they added Roquan Smith. Like that has been such a really good addition for them. Um, their past, like their secondary hasn't been good. It's the front seven that just constantly gets pressure and disrupts things that makes it a pain in the ass to throw the ball against them. That's not to take anything away from the likes of, you know, Peters or Humphrey or Kyle Hamilton, but you know, for, They've been an, in, an inconsistent unit, and since Roquan Smith got there, the front seven's been more stout and has helped them out a lot more. Um, and that showed last night. Um, but Burrow was able you know, to overcome that. Again, his stat line didn't look great. He was very, very precise with his decision-making, um, and he deserves a lot of credit for that. Like T. Higgins didn't have a big game. I think he only had 37 yards receiving. Jamar Chase had a nice game, um, 90, 87 yards and a touchdown. I don't have it in front of me. I'll have to pull it up, but... He had a nice game, but outside of that, there wasn't much explosiveness from the Bengals' offense. And the Ravens played the exact game that they wanted to play. We're going to control the ball. We're going to keep the ball away from the Bengals as much as we can. We're going to tire out their defense, and we're going to, you know, when the Bengals' offense does get back out there, they're going to be cold because they haven't been on the field. And we saw that. So, you know, kudos to the Bengals for getting the job done. And kudos to John Harbaugh, who, you know, gets the best out of his guys and keeping it close. But there was a lot that happened after the game that people are talking about, and that's that's what I'm going to kind of focus on right now. You know, J.K. Dobbins was very vocal after the game. Hey, why didn't I get the ball uh-huh, in that situation? Instead, you sent Tyler Huntley to die from the three-yard line, and we fumble, we lose. And J.K. Dobbins is having a nice game. If they give him the ball, he probably scores. And that kind of changes the entire outlook of things. And they still had a chance to, to win at the end if Brochet catches the ball. So, yeah, Cincinnati won the game. But, again, like Buffalo, they're like, all right, yeah, well, I don't want to – I'm tired of playing the Ravens. I'm tired of, you know, Buffalo. I'm tired of playing the Dolphins. Just move on. Dobbins is vocal. Hey, why didn't I get the ball? But also saying, yeah, if Lamar played, we win. And that 
is where the conversation for the next few months is going to be. Because J.K. Dobbins saying, yeah, we need a Lamar out there. Calais Campbell saying, Lamar's the guy. I hope the organization takes care of him. This locker room is very much defending Lamar Jackson. And it's going to be interesting to see what they decide to do. Because I know that Twitter is you know, blowing up saying, how can you not pay Lamar? I can see both sides of this. Because if you're Eric DaCosta, you're saying, okay, uh, the last two years, you've missed the last month of the season, month and a half of the season. We've nosedived. And we're one year, we don't even make the playoffs. And the next year, we're one and done. Like there has to be some sort of dependability from your quarterback position. If you're going to pay him all this money, is he going to be there when you need him most? And I'm not blaming Lamar for getting hurt. It's not his fault. But that is something that you have to take into consideration when a guy is asking for as much money fully guaranteed as Lamar wants. And that's something that DaCosta, Harbaugh, they're all going to take in, into consideration when, because remember, Lamar, and everybody knows Lamar doesn't have an agent. They are, they are negotiating directly with Lamar. And I think that that is going to be the biggest thing here is because when you're negotiating with an agent and, you know, the, the player is kind of the third party, you know, weighing in from the outside, you know, things can kind of stay the relationship can stay pretty well. If you're negotiating directly with your quarterback and he feels like he's being lowballed and that leads to tension, that leads to arguments and that fractures relationships, that is going to be, in my opinion, the thing that will trigger whether he is there next year or not. Because there are probably 25 other teams that would gladly pick up the phone, call Eric to cost and say, hey, what do you want for him? And by the way, let me address that too. Lamar Jackson's not going to walk as a free agent. They will tag him and they will make a team give up a King's ransom to get him. He's not going to enter free agency. So let's get that out of the way first. Baltimore will not let him become a free agent. They will tag him and he'll go to the highest bidder. But that is going to be the most interesting thing here is how these negotiations go how these tensions between all between DaCosta, Harbaugh and Lamar, how this all plays out. And if it, if it doesn't go well and he's like, you know what to hell with this, get rid of me. I'm not doing this anymore. I'll go to a team that, you know, values me. You know, he posted something on his Instagram story about, you know, you know, take care of the people who take care of you. I can't remember exactly what it said, but it was something of that nature. You know, those things matter. Especially when you're when he's the one that you're directly negotiating with. And so it's going to be very, very interesting to see how those things get handled. Because there's two things that can happen. One, they come to a deal. Lamar's there for the next five years. Great. You know, I think that that's what Ravens fans want, obviously. But there's also another world where the aforementioned happens and he says, get rid of me. I'm not doing this anymore. Send me somewhere else. Then you're going to have teams like the New York Jets pick up the phone. Perhaps the Detroit Lions, which would be very, very fun. The team that intrigues me the most, though, in where Lamar Jackson could possibly be playing next year, though, is the Atlanta Falcons. And it makes sense for a medley of reasons. One, 
They have the third most cap space entering 2023. Two, Arthur Smith's system fits Lamar Jackson effortlessly. You know, we saw it's a you know run heavier system where he, we saw it with Marcus Mariota and Desmond Ritter a little bit this year. He would fit effortlessly into that, into what Arthur Smith does. Three, they got Drake London, who played really well as a rookie. Kyle Pitts, when he gets back from injury, you add somebody like a Juju Smith-Schuster in free agency, or you draft a guy. You got a better core of weapons than Lamar's had since he's been in Baltimore. And if you want to, if you can bring in somebody like a Tony Pollard, then we're really talking about a really fun offense for Atlanta. And four, they were in on Deshaun Watson. They would absolutely be in on Lamar Jackson. And it makes sense for the Ravens too, because if they're going to trade him, no way in hell that they're going to want to trade him within the AFC. If Atlanta, if Atlanta doesn't offer as much as a team like the Jets, but it's still a respectable deal, I can absolutely see Baltimore saying, you know what? It might not, it might not be as much as what the Jets are offering but we don't want to play this guy in January. We'll send him to Atlanta. It makes so much sense for the Atlanta Falcons to be in. Everybody's going to say, oh, they drafted Desmond Ritter. You're going to tell me that the Falcons are going to be like, no, we got Desmond Ritter. We don't need Lamar Jackson. Come on now. It makes so much sense for the Atlanta Falcons. And plus, you get Lamar Jackson there. You immediately become a much more attractive destination for other free agents. And they've got a lot of money to spend this offseason. Over $80 million in free cap. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to be, they will be looking to spend. And that's a team, like I said, he will fit very well into that offense. It will revolve around him. He will have a better core of weapons than he ever did in Baltimore. That is a team that I will keep. I would keep my, my eye very closely on the Falcons. You know, Drake London, Kyle Pitts. Tyler Algier had a pretty nice year. We've seen that Lamar Jackson doesn't necessarily need a star running back to be successful. I mean, they were you know, rolling out Le'Veon Bell, Devontae Freeman, Gus Edwards, J.K. Dobbins. Like, J.K. Dobbins is a nice back, but the aforementioned three, I mean, they're nothing to write home about. Le'Veon Bell maybe in 2016, Devontae Foreman maybe in 2017. They're rolling out like the post-Tampa Bay, Kansas City versions of Le'Veon Bell and the post-Atlanta version of Devontae Freeman. And they still had success because of Lamar. And look, he isn't in the stratosphere of, you know, the Allen, Mahomes, Herbert, and throwing the ball. He's become much more polished as a passer, though. And he's a pain in the butt to game plan against for obvious reasons because he can run. And, by the way, the NFC South, very much up in the air. You got Tampa Bay, probably not going to have Tom Brady next year. Probably going to go through a lot of changes within their roster and their coaching staff. Carolina. Same thing, hiring a new coach, bringing in a new quarterback more than likely. And then the Saints are a dumpster fire. They don't have a good head coach. God only knows who their quarterback's going to be next year. If you're Atlanta and you get Lamar Jackson, you have that division in a chokehold for the foreseeable future. For the bare minimum, 2023. I mean, it all depends, again, on what Carolina does and potentially Tampa Bay. I don't see New Orleans being any sort of like legitimate threat for 2023. But if you're Atlanta, yeah, 2023 is absolutely yours. The NFC South next year, you get Lamar Jackson, it is your division to lose. And they still need a few upgrades on the defensive side of the ball. But like I said, you bring in Lamar Jackson, there's going to be guys be like, oh, Lamar's in Atlanta. Yeah, I'll go to Atlanta. Nice city. Good team. Good quarterback. Yeah, I'll go there. So 
while they need other things, especially on the defensive side of the ball, outside of guys named AJ Terrell and Grady Jarrett, Lamar Jackson is a big domino that would bring in talent who would be interested in coming to the Falcons. So that is a name. That's a team that I would keep a close eye on in this. And again, is there a world where Lamar returns to Baltimore? Absolutely. Where cooler heads prevail, they all sit down in a room and they come to terms on a deal. Do I think it's going to be for as much as the Deshaun Watson deal? No. And I, people are going to say, well, if Deshaun Watson got this, then Lamar needs to get no. One team's stupidity should not impact the rest of the league and say, oh, okay, then we have to make bad deals. No. Because, like it or not, that wouldn't be smart on the Ravens' part. Because of the injury history the last two years, giving a guy $245 million guaranteed, it's just not smart. If they can find common ground, then great. But I absolutely do not think Baltimore is going to be the team that gives him that. Is there a team that could? Yeah, sure. Atlanta could. But I don't think Baltimore is going to be the team to do it. And I understand Lamar's case. Don't get me wrong. You know, he's almost single-handedly made that team relevant. And it's not to say that they they were irrelevant per se, but I mean, there's a few years in the final years of Joe Flacco where they weren't, you know, seven and nines, eight and eight seasons where they were either barely making the playoffs or missing them all together. So that is, I understand Lamar's case. And I'm not saying, you know, that he doesn't deserve his money. He does. Do I think that he should be getting $245 million? No. The same way I don't think Deshaun Watson should have got what he got. You know, like I said, one team's bad decisions shouldn't, you know, shouldn't reset everything for every other team. And we've seen it. We've seen that it does because guys like, you know, the Christian Kirk deal, for instance, you know, there's going to be guys who get paid or like, okay, Christian Kirk got 19. Yeah, I'm better than Christian Kirk. I want 25. And fair or not, if like a guy like Justin Jefferson, he's going to be due for an extension soon. He's going to look at receivers deals and be like, yeah, I'm the best receiver in football. I'm not taking less money than Christian Kirk. No disrespect to Christian Kirk. He's a fine receiver, but Justin Jefferson is obviously in a much you know higher stratosphere than him. So we're going to see these things. But the Atlanta Falcons are a team I would absolutely keep an eye on. For landing Lamar Jackson. Now, what's it going to take? Minimum, probably three ones. And if you haven't read Matt Verderam's latest stack in the box on Fansided, go do that. He gets into a little bit of detail on it. It's a really good piece. Go read that on Fansided. Um, three ones is probably the starting point. And, you know, a few other mid-round picks, perhaps a player. Look at the Russell Wilson deal. Probably somewhere similar to that, but with an additional one because Lamar's obviously, you know, better than Russ, younger than Russ. You know, it's he's gonna he's gonna garner a lot. It's gonna be a big package. So I would look at the Russell Wilson deal where I think it was two players because they traded Noah Fant and um uh who else did they trade? It was a defensive lineman. I'll have to go back and look. Um they traded was it Al Woods? Am I thinking of the right one? Might have been Al Woods. Shelby Harris. Shelby Harris. That's who it was. They traded Shelby Harris and Noah Fant and the medley of picks to Seattle. 
So I do think now, if I had to guess, is Lamar back with Baltimore? I don't think he is. I just think that right now you look at how Harbaugh has handled this. Like usually you'll see a coach come to the defense of his guy. We haven't seen that with John Harbaugh. It's been a lot of, yeah, you know, we expected him back by now. He's not here. You know, usually you'll see coaches get in front of these types of things. It's like, look, guys, he's hurt, and that's what it is. We wish he was here, but, you know, right now his health is the most important thing. And if he would have done that, then I think that we're having a completely different conversation right now. But how he handled it up to this point and how he handled it after the game, crediting Snoop Huntley for playing while hurt, really battling through injuries to play. Like, I feel like that was a little bit of a subtle jab at Lamar. And look, if you're Baltimore in that situation where Lamar's no longer there, they still have this all-world defense out there who, uh, top they're top three in the league to me. I, there's not two defenses that I, that I would take before them. I think San Francisco, um, you might be able to put Baltimore number two. Like they are, they are that good. I mean, there's others, you know, Pittsburgh is really good when they're on top of things. Um, Denver's really good. The jets are really good. Like they're all in this kind of mix of the, the top five defenses in football. But if you wanted to say that Baltimore's the second or third defense in football, I, I wouldn't argue with you. So they've got this all world defense, you know, trading Lamar wouldn't mean that the sky is falling. I mean, it might be the complete opposite. It could be a situation like Seattle. Where everybody's, oh my goodness, how could they trade this quarterback? They are going to be bad. And then maybe they bring in a guy like Derek Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo, Ryan Tannehill maybe. And they bring in a few different receivers because God knows that they need them. I know that if they draft one or two, like if they trade Lamar, the number eight pick that Atlanta has is going to be part of that deal. If they want to draft a guy like Quentin Johnson from, from TCU, they want to sign somebody like Juju. They were in on Juju a few years ago when he was a free agent coming out of Pittsburgh. Obviously, he decided to go back to Pittsburgh and then this past offseason went to Kansas City. But there are options that they have. Now, they'll probably have to draft a true number one because there's not really or trade for one. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. If they wanted to make a move for somebody like a Chris Godwin or a Mike Evans, depending on what Tampa Bay does, like Baltimore is not going to be dead in the water is what I'm trying to say. If they trade Lamar Jackson, if anything, I think that they end up in a situation better than Seattle because one, they have a better defense than the Seahawks do. And two, they have a lot of draft capital where they could go out and get a veteran quarterback. Like if they wanted to trade for Derek Carr, then all of a sudden we're talking, Oh, okay. You know, there's going to be a new direction for the team, obviously, because they're not going to run, you know, the stereotypical Greg Roman offense, which, by the way, we got to see what happens with Greg Roman going forward, because there's a lot of people calling for his job right now. But I mean, is there a world where the Ravens do let go of Greg Roman and trade Lamar? Because you can't I don't think you can really keep Greg Roman around if you don't have a mobile guy to run like he was he was the one with Colin Kaepernick in San Francisco you know that's kind of what his offense is is a lot of these RPOs read options type things Derek Carr isn't doing that so if they get rid of Greg Roman that might be a little bit of an indicator like okay we're kind of starting anew here but if they do I mean is there a world where John Harbaugh calls Frank Reich and says hey I want you to be my offensive coordinator and then they go out and trade 
for Derek Carr, draft Quentin Johnson, maybe make a trade for someone like Chris Godwin, DeAndre Hopkins, perhaps. Like there, <laughs> there is a crazy world where Lamar Jackson ends up as an Atlanta Falcon and Baltimore comes out better because they, I mean, it would have to be a boatload of moves, but they would have the capital to do it because of all of the picks that they would get in return for Lamar Jackson. And they can make a move for a Derek Carr and they can make a move for a DeAndre Hopkins and they can draft a Quentin Johnson or um, a Jackson Smith and the Jigba or there is a medley of things that they can do at that point because of the capital that they have. And especially if they hit on an offensive coordinator, assuming that they move on from Greg Roman in that situation. So by no means is Baltimore dead in the water if they trade Lamar Jackson. We just saw a situation with the Seattle Seahawks this entire year where everybody proclaimed them as up. They're going to be in contention for the number one overall pick. They're starting Geno Smith. And they're a playoff team. And I think that Baltimore would be in a better spot than Seattle because of how good their defense is. And especially if they can get in a, a, a reliable veteran quarterback like a Derek Carr or a Jimmy Garoppolo. A real number one. Like the Cardinals are talking about moving DeAndre Hopkins, which, by the way, it wouldn't take too much to get DeAndre Hopkins at this point in his career. He's still good, but he's not, you know, 2015, 2014 DeAndre Hopkins. So I would keep, this is going to be a very fascinating situation to watch play out for both sides. Because if Baltimore does move on from Lamar Jackson, I would expect them you know, to make a lot of decisions in terms of the coaching staff. And if they do move on from Greg Roman, I do think that that could be the first domino in them deciding to move on from Lamar Jackson as well. Because again, the Greg Roman offense is very specific to a very specific kind of quarterback. Unless they want to go out and draft Anthony Richardson and start him day one, which I think is a horrible idea. He could end up being really good, but he's still a very raw player. There's a lot of different things going, a lot of different things that can happen for Baltimore in that situation. And I know that everybody's going to focus on where Lamar's going to go. And it is a fascinating thing to focus on. You know, he's going to be a jet. Is he going to be a lion? Is he going to be a Falcon? You know, wherever he may land. But I think just as interesting is the fact that I don't think Baltimore will just be a rollover team. If anything, I think that they could be just as good if they make the right moves. Because at that point, if you're Eric DaCosta, you kind of have to. How are you going to sell to your fans? Like, okay, hey, we're going to move on from our former MVP quarterback who everybody really loves and is one of the most popular players in the league. You can't do that and not have a big plan after that and not get aggressive and not go, you know, you know, kind of balls to the wall in terms of what you do next. Because if you do, that absolutely turns off the fan base. There's going to be a lot of pissed off Baltimore Ravens fans if they trade away Lamar Jackson and are just kind of like left shrugging their shoulders on what they're going to do next. Now, They are a very smart organization. I don't think that they would go into this without a plan. Point being, though, is that like if they just kind of go in after or if they go into this without any sort of like, yeah, you know, we'll see. 
But if Lamar goes, there's going to be massive other changes to the offense. And it's going to be fascinating to watch. Touch real quickly on the other playoff games, because obviously there's games this <laughs> this past weekend that um, do garner a lot of attention. Um, been going 40 minutes. I don't want to take too much time. Hey, the New York Giants, man. Congratulations to them. Brian Dable and co. Daniel Jones played the game of his life, had over 300 yards passing, 70 more on the ground. The first player in NFL history to do that, Daniel Jones. And for as many people, myself included, who were saying they got to upgrade a quarterback, man. And look, I'm not saying that this makes Daniel Jones, you know, a solidified franchise guy. He is much better than what he was last year. And the year before he missed a lot of time last year with injury. They were with Mike Glenn and that's how they ended up four and 13. But kudos to Daniel Jones, man. He absolutely tip of the cap to him. Saquon Barkley. He only had, I think like eight carries, but they got him involved in other ways. Play calling was really good. The defense really stepped up. Dexter Lawrence had a fantastic game. Um, kudos to them. They'll play the Eagles this weekend. They lost to him twice. Second one was, you know, they were playing back as they didn't care. The first one, though, they looked overwhelmed. So it'll be interesting to see how they overcome that. Um, 27 nothing comeback for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, I'll touch on the Chargers real quick, too. Um, they fire offensive coordinator Joe Lombardi and pass game coordinator and quarterbacks coach Shane Day. Frank Reich will be, I know I keep bringing up Frank Reich, but I think he's going to be the high, you know, the big commodity in terms of court, uh, offensive coordinator. So, look. Justin Herbert isn't without blame for the Chargers losing after leading 27 to nothing. Um, you know, you got to put that away. However, when up 27 to nothing, and Chris Sims tweeted this, credit to him for for uh for the tweet. They're up 27 to nothing. Joe Lombardi calls eight run plays the rest of the game, 25 pass plays. Like, what are you doing? They absolutely needed to fire Joe Lombardi. Brandon Staley's lucky that he didn't get fired. I think that this is Spano's way of saying, okay, you know what? You want a mulligan? I'll give you a mulligan, but you are you don't figure it out this year, you're done. Now, could it come back to, you know, could there be could they reap rewards from that? Sure. But Brandon Staley, in terms of, you know, coaches that we watch in terms of the hot seat and could potentially be fired next year, he is absolutely at the top of the list because he's lucky to still have a job today. He needs to swing for the fences and find an offensive coordinator that will utilize Justin Herbert's ability to throw the deep ball that he throws so well and not turn him into a check down quarterback. Because for all of Justin Herbert's talents, he checks down far too much. Far too much. And again, we can attribute that to, you know, Mike Williams missed time, Keenan Allen missed time. I get it, man. But at some point, you know, it's got to be like, Justin, just let that thing fly. Or call up a play for Justin to let this thing fly, you know? So that'll be a development that Brandon Staley needs to get it right, is, is, the, is the bottom line here. He needs to get it right. He needs to get the right guy. Because that's not acceptable in terms of what we saw from, from them. But kudos to the Jacksonville Jaguars, man. 27-0 deficit. Trevor Lawrence throws four picks in the first half. They overcome it. 
Um, he plays a damn good second half. Doug Peterson with one of the calls of the last decade with that run play on fourth and one, basically setting up Travis Etienne in a one-on-one with Asante Samuel on the outside. And then Riley Patterson kicks him into the division round where they will travel to Arrowhead after overcoming and pulling off the third largest comeback in NFL playoff history. Trevor Lawrence and that team, they're so easy to root for, man. I'm so happy for that fan base, for that team. Doug Peterson, like everybody just, that is a team that was at rock bottom last year. And the turnaround that we have seen from them is nothing short of fantastic. And it is a large credit to the head coach, the quarterback. And you know what? Trent Balky too, because we all made fun of how much money he was spending on guys who didn't necessarily garner the kind of money that they were getting. But Christian Kirk played really well this season. Zay Jones has been really big this season. Kudos to uh to the entire that entire operation there. My goodness. Oh, what else are we missing? Oh, 49ers and the Seahawks. Yeah. Seattle kind of started off that game looking like they could surprise some people and keep it close. 17-16 lead at half. And then the uh, the 49ers outscore them 25 to what six the rest of the game. And Brock Purdy, you know, Shanahan scheming guys open. Debo had the long touchdown. Brock Purdy played really well, was making good decisions. Defense had that really big fumble recovery uh, when the Seahawks were driving the second half, and I think that kind of put the game on ice. So the Seahawks will play the Dallas Cowboys, who we'll touch on in a minute, at home. Last year they played them in Dallas. So that'll be that'll be the game I might pay the closest attention to in terms of a potential upset. Because as good as the 49ers are, I think everybody's just kind of waiting to see Brock Purdy look like a rookie. This is by far their toughest test. By far. Because you got Dallas, who everybody was saying that they could be on upset alert against Tampa Bay. Myself included. I picked Tampa Bay to win the game. And then Dak Prescott has the game of his life. I don't think I saw a Dak Prescott decision last night that made me scratch my head. No, the touchdown pass early on to Schultz is just a really good job by him looking off the safety and letting Schultz go down the seam on a little stick and nod. He extended the play later on in the second touchdown pass to Schultz. He ran one in. They were they were they were clicking on all cylinders offensively because of number four. That was if not the best game that I've ever seen Dak Prescott play, it's certainly one of them. He was as close to flawless as you could be. And in terms of the offensive line, there was a lot of shuffling going on because of injuries throughout the game. You know, they went with an interesting alignment to start the game. Um, I want to say if Jason Peters, I think at right tackle and had um, Tyler Smith and like left guard. They were just switching guys all over the place that weren't their you know, normal positions. Um, but regardless, the offensive line played really well. Um, and a, a lot of people expected Tampa Bay to, you know, kind of thwart the Dallas Cowboys because of the whole, you know, the Cowboys are the Cowboys until proven otherwise. Great job by Dak Prescott last night. And, uh, 
the Cowboys defense as well. They played fantastic holding Tampa Bay to was it, 14 points. So great job all around by the Cowboys. I will be very interested to see if that Cowboys team shows up this weekend. I think they win. Because as good as the 49ers defense is, they haven't really had outside of Jarrett Stidham in Vegas, they haven't really had anybody go toe for toe for toe in terms of points with them. So that is going to be the thing that we need to pay attention to going into the weekend. And we'll touch more on that in the preview show. I appreciate all of you watching. Again, preview show later this week to preview divisional round football. We'll get into all of that. Um, we'll see who's hosting with me. It'll either be Raven, um, Vertoram, one of the two, more than likely, perhaps Mike Tanier or Eric at home will be with me. We'll we'll figure out all that stuff um, before the preview show. Again, appreciate you all. This is going to be a very fun weekend of football. Um, maybe the best weekend of football in uh, for the in, for the entire league. You know, you got the four or the eight best teams uh squaring off so it's going to be a fun weekend appreciate you all for joining me this is the pump fake we will see you later on in the week for the preview show going into the divisional round thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube